It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? I said it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? I'm sorry, it's a really good day to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? Amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, well, let me add my welcome to everybody else's welcome this morning. My name is Pastor Jim Olson. Actually, it's Jim Olson. I am the pastor here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And as of tomorrow, in fact, it will be 23 years ago today, tomorrow was the first day that I stood up here and spoke on, at that year, Palm Sunday, my first Sunday speaking as senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship. So, 23 years. Yeah. And I love it. I love it here. I love being a part of this house and all that God's doing. Don't you love it? Aren't you glad? I'm just, yeah. We are so blessed, so grateful. Well, good. Well, let's just uh, open our hearts. If you just open your hands, we're going to open in prayer here and invite the Lord to speak to us this morning, our risen Lord. Jesus, we welcome you here now to speak with us as we come together to receive from your word, from your life. Jesus, we ask that you would come and that you who are the eternal word would be the very specific now word for this day that we might receive from your hand that which you have to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we're not here today simply by accident or coincidence. We're here by your appointment to receive what you want to bring to us. Lord, there is some things today that you want to speak specifically into some lives. There are some folks here this morning who find themselves internally in locked rooms, trembling in fear. And Jesus, you want to bring life right there today. So we welcome you, Jesus, to come. Bring your life here now, this day, for your glory, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. This morning we're completing a study that we've been doing during the Lenten season here, the Lenten season officially coming to a close here on Resurrection Sunday, entitled Apostello, which is the Greek word for sent. Apostello is the Greek word for sent. Uh, we began this year, this year to engage with a three-week study on kaleo, on called, Then we've done an eight-week study on Apostello Sent, and we're beginning next week a new study, a seven, or actually an eight-week study again, on praxis, praxis, which means functioning. So we're kind of moving from calling to sending to how it is, how we function in that sending. But today, we're going to complete this study entitled Apostello, entitled Sent, by um, looking at a particular... uh, part of what it means to be sent, and that is living the inspired life. What we've been walking through together over these eight weeks is we've actually been using this as sort of a guide for us. It's uh, called the Tangible Kingdom Primer, an eight-week guide to incarnational community. Now, you may be visiting with us for the very first time this morning, or you haven't been a part of the study. You're not going to miss anything this morning. You're going to be okay, 
and uh, we'll help you. Uh, you're, you're just kind of coming in on the crescendo, on the exclamation point, on the end of the message. But what we've been discovering is how it is that we are called here at Bethel Christian Fellowship to live together in, in, as an incarnational, intercultural, missional community. Now say that three times fast, all right? Incarnational, intercultural, missional community. Say it with me. Incarnational, intercultural, missional community. Now, that sounds hard to say. It's even harder to live. And in fact, what I would say to you is it is impossible for us to live this life together and become this community absent what we're going to be talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is inspiration. Now, can anybody tell me what inspiration literally means? Does anybody know what inspiration or inspired literally means? God breathes. It was funny, the other day I was visiting... um, Ron Spica, and he's doing very well, by the way. Thank you for your prayers for him. He's really turned a corner. And he asked me what I was preaching on Sunday, and I told him I'm preaching on the inspired life. And he started chuckling, and he looked up because he has, because as part of, you know, his uh, ongoing recovery in physics, he had a bottle that says spire on it. You know, it's a, it's a breathing to help him develop his breathing. So he just started chuckling and said, yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> And by the way, Alan Button sends his greetings as well. He is doing so amazingly well after his second back surgery within the month. He has another surgery coming soon. Um, but he, has back, he just had his second back surgery. His next surgery is in April, April 9th. Um, and, uh, but he is doing well. He was up walking. He's just praising God for, he said, tell everybody that uh, I have a resurrection testimony. <laughs> He's up. And doing great. So, um, yeah. But the inspired life. Well, in the tangible kingdom primer, in the, the, the final week is actually called the intuitive life, which we, we've kind of uh, built on for this inspiration. But think of this in the context. And they define intuition here, which we're going to redefine in terms of inspiration. But they, they use this definition. Intuition is the ability to sense or know without conscious reasoning. Now, how many of you, okay, you've heard of left brain, right brain, left brain, brain, left brain being logical, right brain being intuitive? How many of you know, if you know kind of the way you think, how many of you are more left brain logical? If you're more left brain logical, hold them up high, I got to see. Okay, yeah, all right. God really loves you. Okay. All right, how many of you are more right brain intuitive, if you know? Okay, so, all right, yeah. How many of you are both? Okay, there we are, good, okay, good, all right. Both of us have both, all right. But typically we're dominant in one or the other, but intuition is that ability to sense and know without conscious reasoning. It's that right brain, it's that, I always tell people, I'm at A, I know we're going to F, don't confuse me with B to E, I just know where we're ending, okay? Whereas a left brain logical person wants to know B, C, D, and E, all right? Both are necessary and a part of what it means to live as part of the image of God, because God is but what both? He's logical and intuitive, all right? But learning to live intuitively is really about learning to live in faith, led and guided by the Holy Spirit. 
Life, have you figured this out yet? Even for those of us that like all of our ducks in a row, life rarely happens in steps, programs, or logical sequences. In fact, most of the time, it sort of just happens. Developing an intuitive incarnational lifestyle is a process and depends on our willingness to listen and respond to God's direction. For it to emerge, we must learn to trust God and lean on faith, being certain that His Holy Spirit is faithfully working in and through us. Say with me, lean on the Holy Spirit. Say it again. Lean on the Holy Spirit. One more time. Get it in deep. Lean on the Holy Spirit. I've been a believer since I was five years old. And I have been learning throughout my life in these, all of these years. I can tell you that 48 years into this walk of faith, I'm still learning how to lean on the Holy Spirit. I'm learning to respond to Him, not simply react to my life. Did you hear me? We're trying to learn, we're discovering how to respond to the Spirit rather than simply react to life's circumstances around us. And so there is an ongoing invitation to us to learn how to do this. And what I'm calling that again this morning is the inspired or God-breathed life. What he wants for us individually and what he wants us to discover as a community is how to live together in a way that is literally God-breathed. That's what he's teaching us to do. All right. Our key text for today is taken out of John chapter 20, 19 to 23. And if you'd like to open your Bible there, that would be great because we'll be referring back or you're going to want to kind of keep that open as a way of helping you staying oriented to what it is that we are focusing in on this morning. John chapter 20 verses 19 to 23. But before we get there, I'm going to begin all the way back in the beginning of John 20 because I want us to remember the context for what we're looking at this morning. All right. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, notice this is John the Apostle writing this. And he is reflecting and saying they still didn't know. 
Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. And now our scripture for this morning. So this is on the evening of that first day. So it would be like tonight in terms of time frame. It's evening. We're at the the Tibonera concert, all right? On the evening of that first day of the week. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am apostello. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This morning, I want to look at four consequences of the resurrection seen through the lens, the picture here in John chapter 20. Now, do you have this in your mind? I I hope that when you read the scripture, you do more than simply read the words. I hope you actually, and here's an intuitive part, but actually enter into what's going on in the scripture. Do you have the picture in your mind? The disciples were together and the doors were locked. And, you know, I don't know what their conversation was like, but I'm sure that there was a lot of conversation going on. We don't know the exact words but they were locked together because of fear of the Jews. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening. They had already heard the rumor. They, well, Mary had come to them and told them it wasn't even a rumor. It was an eyewitness account that the tomb was empty. They didn't know where Jesus was. They didn't know what was going on. They'd heard what Mary had reported, that he was alive or that he was back, and, the, and he had spoken with her. But I don't know about you. As it says here in John 20, I think you would have been like me where it says here that they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't get it. But here in this divine encounter, I think God, Jesus came and opened up their heart and mind and they saw something that they had never, ever even probably dreamt about seeing, well, seeing Jesus alive from the dead was one thing, but then they experienced something 
which they would take with them through the rest of their days. And this morning, I want to try to bring us into that so that you can take something with you for the rest of your days out of this Resurrection Sunday, that you can remember these four consequences that are a part of the resurrected life, that are a part of living the inspired life, what it means to live on this side of the resurrection. Because people, I want you to know, it is the greatest thing on earth. It is the most wonderful thing in all of the universe that you and I get to live in the reality of the resurrection. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. In fact, as we're going to discover here, even even more, I mean, you know, I don't know. This is almost hard to say because it's, ah, it's really intuitive. But, but even more, perhaps, than what it would have been to live with Jesus when he was walking on the earth, as fabulous and as incredible as that would have been, the reality of living in the fullness of his resurrection life flowing here and now as it is, It's even more. It's even more. Well, let's discover why it's more. All right? First of all, the first consequence of living in the resurrection is the reality that we get to live in the context of the awareness of his presence with us all the time. Now, David, I've I've been just, particularly these days as I've been doing lots and lots of hospital visits and have been with folks in the midst of really challenging circumstances, this scripture has come alive to me again. David wrote this scripture in Psalm 139, and he says, You hem at me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. How many of you have ever felt hemmed in by your circumstances? Anybody ever felt hemmed in by your circumstances? Do you know what I mean? That's an maybe an American or an English idiom, but it means to kind of be pressed in with no place to move. It feels like your, your life is hemmed in by situation and circumstances around you. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a hemming that is greater than your circumstances. That we are actually hemmed in by the Lord and his presence itself. Corey Ten Boom, one of the great, you know, believers of the 20th century who went through um, the the horrors of a a Nazi concentration camp, her and her sister, and she tells her story all about that in the hiding place. But in her story and as a part of her journey, she discovered this truth. And here is how she put it. She said, there is no hole so deep that the hand of God does not 
go deeper still. There is no situation that you or I can face. There is no situation so hard or difficult that He and His hand is not there with us. In the midst of those circumstances, He is present. In the New Testament, Jesus said this to His disciples just before His death. He said, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to give you another advocate to help you and to be with you the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be what? In you. Say, in me. Wow. He's going to be in me. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you'll see me because I live. You also will live, and on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So not only does He hem us in with His presence around us, but here's an even deeper reality. He is with you, in you, in the midst of whatever those circumstances are. And you know what? That doesn't change your circumstances, but it changes everything about your circumstances. Because you're not an orphan. You're not left alone. You're not in there by yourself. He is With you, he is in you. Matthew 28, as Jesus is doing the Great Commission and sending out his apostles, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. Say it with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Say it again. Jesus is with me. Say the Spirit is in me. Say it again. The Spirit is in me. This is one of the consequences of the resurrection. And for you and I, we get the, in, in, if we're living the inspired life, we live it in the conscious awareness of being in God's presence at all times. And it's a discipline that we must bring ourselves into to the conscious awareness. Whatever it is, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, wherever you are, you cannot go far enough, you cannot go deep enough, you cannot go high enough, there's nowhere that you can go that you will be outside of His presence. Take comfort, take hope, take grace and peace. In that. Which brings us to our second note, which is peace. Here's another consequence of the resurrection for your and my life. Remember Jesus. So here they were. Remember, let's, let's come back to our text for a moment in John chapter 20. They are together in the locked room. And this is what I was praying about earlier just before I began the message. You may be in your locked room internally. Maybe here, you're here this morning, so you aren't locked up in your physical room, but maybe you're locked up in an internal room this morning, and the Lord would say to you this morning, I am with you. And I want to be 
in you. When you receive Jesus, he comes and is in you. All right? Now, when he comes and he speaks, he says this. He says, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, he said to them, peace be with you. Twice Jesus says, peace be with you. Now, why does he need to emphasize that over and over again? Well, here the disciples again were locked up. They were trembling in fear. And Jesus comes and he speaks into them a word that is a word that we need to hear afresh today, that our world needs to hear every single day, every moment. And that word is peace. And here is a couple of consequences or a couple of things related and connected to that peace. Therefore, since, say therefore, therefore, because the therefore is there for a reason, it's therefore, and we'd have to go back and read all of Romans 1 to 4 to get that, but Paul is building a case and says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, listen to this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, there's two critical things here that are being framed about peace. The first is we have peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Without Jesus, no N-O Jesus, N-O peace. No Jesus, no peace. K-N-O-W, no Jesus. K-N-O-W, no peace. If there is no Jesus in our life, there will be no peace. No true peace. But if we know him and he is in us, then Jesus says, as the Father, as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, so I'm going to be in you and you in the Father. And, and Jesus makes peace between us and the Father through the cross. And so today can be your resurrection day if you will simply receive and accept the reality that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your and my sin, for every one of us, our sinners, and we need His salvation. We need the freedom that only He can give us, and He has brought it to us as a gift when He died on the cross. And we can say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. I receive and accept You in my life. And you can begin new life with Jesus today. No Jesus, no peace. The second consequence mentioned up here in terms of peace is that in the midst of difficulty, what does it say here? We boast in the glory of God, but not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. I want to bring you a testimony, a word that Gene Swenson wanted me to give to you today. When I spoke... With her sister, you know, I've been to visit her multiple times, and I was speaking with Joan yesterday, 
and Jean was there, and she said, and Jean was talking to Joan and saying, would you please tell the congregation this? She said, in the sufferings that I have been going through, she said, I have had a new insight into an understanding about perseverance. And as I have gone through this, suffering myself, I have a new insight into Jesus' suffering and his perseverance through that suffering. And she said, so would you please encourage the congregation that in whatever they're going, to remember Jesus and his suffering and his perseverance through that suffering and take hope. Take hope. Because suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. So you and I can have hope today through Jesus. Again, John 14, all of this I have spoken while still with you. And here's another portion where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. You know, in this world, there will be troubles, but he doesn't give like the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I have told you these things, John 16, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you what? Will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This is good news. This is resurrection news, people. We live in a world of troubles, but there is peace because of Jesus. The inspired life is lived in the context of a peace with God that permeates even through our fears, our frustrations, our failures. There is a peace, people, available to you and to me There is a peace that goes through our fears, frustrations, or failures. So, hear the word of the Lord to your heart today. Jesus is here in his resurrected reality to give you peace. Third, for those of you keeping score at home, third consequence of the resurrection is the power. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, that's the ruach of God, the breath of God. It's the power of God in us. In Romans chapter 8, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, Paul says in another place in Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power 
For us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms. The very same power that drew Jesus and put breath back into the nostrils of Jesus there in that tomb. That same breath is in you. That same power which raised Jesus from the dead is in you for you to raise you up. Hallelujah! (laughs) I don't know if that don't get you excited. I don't know what will. He's going to give life to you because of the Spirit who lives in you. There is life. The very breath, the very power of God. There are two Old Testament pictures that speak of this. One is in Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. In Ezekiel chapter 37 in, the, in Ezekiel's great prophecy of the dry bones, it says, And then he said to me, he's looking among the bones and the dry and dead bones, and they come together. And the Lord says to him, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to the life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. The Lord is raising up a vast army of those who are living the inspired life, who are living in the reality of God's power flowing in and through us. This is the inspired life. It is the life of God breathed in to you, giving you power over sin, power over death, power to live in freedom with Him forever. This is the power of God. And it is a consequence, a reality of the resurrection life is that there is power. In the name of Jesus, to bring you into life. You may say, but you don't know how far I've gone. You don't know how far away I've been. You don't know how bad my life is. You don't know how bad my life has been. You don't know all of the things that I've done. And I would say to you, I don't. But God does. And he is the one who is the master at taking broken, bruised, shattered, dead lives and bringing them to life. Because you see, Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good. In fact, that's not primarily what he came for. He came to make dead people live. And he wants to bring life to you today. Finally, you get to live as an inspired life. It's a life of purpose. He is with us. His presence, his peace is there for us, his power at work in and through us to live, that we might live lives of purpose with him. Notice the end, and this is kind of an 
it's a, it's a difficult part for us to understand, and I don't have time this morning to unpack it all for us, but in verse 22 of our scripture in John 20, receive the Holy Spirit, and verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven, and if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What's he speaking about? It's very similar to what he's talking about here in Matthew 16. When Jesus replies to, to Simon, Simon just makes a great declaration of faith in the Lord, and Jesus replied and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And in similar words, in Matthew 18, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I... I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For over two or three of them gather in my name, there I am with them. Well, what on earth are we talking about here? What are we binding? What are we releasing? We're binding up deception. We're binding up death. We're binding up destruction. We're binding up despair. And we are releasing and loosing truth and life and liberty and freedom and hope and peace, and encouragement, and all of the things that are a part of the kingdom of God, His justice, His righteousness, His joy, everything that has to do and pertain to the kingdom of God. So as we go out, even two or three agreeing together, gathering together in missional communities through mosaics and other ways, as we live together as this incarnational, intercultural, missional community, we are called to bind up all of those things around us in your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood. We are gathering, we are binding up those things that are not of Him, and we are releasing and loosing the reality of the kingdom of God and His forgiveness and His life. Do you get this? That's what it's about. That's the purpose for which we live. As it, said, it says in Mark 16 at the end of the Gospel of Mark, it says, He said to them, Go into the world and preach the Gospel. This is the Gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They're going to pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it'll not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people and they'll get well. The inspired life is a life that is lived on purpose. Representing, representing the kingdom of Jesus through word and works and wonders into a world that is desperate for purpose. This is the inspired life. The inspired life is lived in the conscious awareness that we are always in God's presence. The inspired life understands that the peace of God permeates even through my fears, my frustrations, my failures. The inspired life understands that the life of God is here to flow in me and through me into a world desperate for this 
for the reality of the kingdom of God. Coming to them through words, through works, through wonders. Worship team, come on up, if you would. What now? What do I do with this? Where do I go with this? How do I take this forward? Simple words again from our tangible kingdom primer. First of all, we'll learn to live in the inspired life in community with other inspired followers of Christ. What does that mean? Well, again, writing here, our, 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 uh, our authors of the tangible kingdom write these words. We hope that if you remember anything about this process, you'll focus on the fact that incarnational community can happen anywhere. If you perceive it as another program that you need to add to your already complicated life, you'll never make it. But if you understand this is something more fundamental, something central to who you are, get this, central to who you are, part of your identity in Christ, then you may be surprised at what God can do in your life. What we're talking about is really personal transformation, the process of developing new habits of life and new concepts of what it means to be on mission. Here is the process of transformation that he wants, but that process of transformation happens from the inside out when we understand the reality of the resurrection and the consequences of that. When we live our lives in his presence, with his peace, in his power, and on purpose, then we will begin to penetrate the kingdom of darkness around us. This is our prayer. This is our desire. This is what we're about here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. Let me just be very clear. This is what we are. We are a people on mission. As a house of prayer for all nations. It's a place to belong where you come in and you belong to us as a family. You're part of our family. It's a house. It is a house of prayer. It is a place where we experience the manifest presence of God in our midst. And it's for all nations because we are living our life on a mission to reach the peoples of this earth that he has given for us and has placed to us and entrusted to us to go forth on purpose with him to do his work. This isn't a place to spectate. It's not a place simply to come and be what we would affectionately call a pew sitter, though we don't have pews. So I don't know, what we, a, a, a chair potato, okay? That isn't what we're about. This is about a people living together, sent by him. He's going to take us out of our comfort zone? Yes. He's going to push us outside of our typical parameters of, quote, the American dream. Good. Because he wants you to engage his dream, which is a lot bigger and a lot better than the American dream. He'll give you stuff that you never thought you'd receive, and I'm not talking, I'm not talking about cars and houses and all that. <laughs> I'm talking about real life treasures. People and relationships and richness of an eternal and external life that's lived with him. I don't know about you, but I want that. Do you want that today? Can we stand to our feet? If you're here this morning, and you want that, You want that. 
You want this inspired life that I'm talking about. And I'm talking about something that's real. I'm not talking about an illusion. I'm talking about something that's real. And it's something that we receive by faith. So there is an intuitive part here. You have to take a step. You take a step of faith. But if you want to take that step of faith this morning, I'm going to be bold this morning and just ask you to step out and come here. If you've never received Christ, if you've never stepped into relationship with Him, if you realize that you're standing in a locked room and Jesus has just walked in this morning and said, I'm here. See my hands, see my side. I've done this for you. I love you. And I want to live in you. Would you step out and step forward, please? If you've never taken that step and you want to take that step today, first time, never have stepped into life in Him. Anybody? Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what? I've been living it a lot less than what I could be. And by the way, if you were in that first category and it's just too hard for you to step today, you still got questions, you still have things that you want to talk about, come and talk to us. I'd love to dialogue with you, share more with you. So would a lot of people around you. No shame in that. You just want to keep working this through. It's a process. Discovery. Maybe this morning you realize as I'm preaching, you know what? I'm not living in that conscious awareness of His presence. I'm not living with that peace. I, I don't feel much power. And my life is kind of aimless right now. There doesn't seem to be much purpose. Or maybe there's, maybe you've got some of that and some of those things, but you want more like me. If that's you, just lift up your hands and I want to pray for you and for me and for us this morning. If you just want more of this inspiration, more of the inspired life today. Jesus. Jesus, hear us as we stand before you today. We desire more, more life, more truth, more joy, more justice, more righteousness, more peace, more of your presence, more power. We want to live on purpose, Jesus, with you. Help us, Lord. Take us deeper. Take us further in to the fullness of this resurrection, we pray. Jesus, save us again today. Transform us again today, individually and as a people, into the fullness of your resurrection power. Jesus, we're crying out to you. Come and breathe into us today. Cry out to him, Jesus! Oh man, I don't even think anybody heard that. Cry out to him, Jesus! Jesus! Come on, cry out to him, Jesus! Jesus! Come on, one more time, cry out! Jesus! We need you. All right. We're going to sing one more song of testimony, of thanks, and then I'm going to give a benediction. 
you just hang in there, but let's, let's sing it out. Celebrate. It's the greatest day. You want to open your hands to receive the benediction today? Oh, Jesus. Our hearts are filled again to overflowing with gratitude and gratefulness. That we have life now and forever in you. Life abundant. Life in your presence. Life of peace. Life of power. Life of purpose. Jesus, as we go now from this house today, may that life flow in and through us throughout this day and every day. Fill us afresh right now. (laughs) With the immeasurable love of God the Father with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of His grace and favor over your life. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. May His goodness and mercy chase you down. This day, every day, for His glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.